From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com. You like to talk budgets, Bud, and a resolution about the city budget was before the council this past week. Um, where'd it go? As a matter of fact, we talked about a proposed resolution on our last Lincoln Business Beat, and I think it was discussed, but it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, we uh, we talked about it last week, about the budget resolution from Councilman McGinnis, but before we dive into that, I'm going to welcome the chair of the Lincoln City Council, my good friend, Councilwoman Tammy Ward. Councilwoman Ward, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Bud, and good morning. It's been uh, a lot of fun uh, over the last four years. Um, before we get into the budget resolution, we at LIBA regularly have meetings with different council members and just talk about issues. There's no real, there, there's never an agenda. That's one of my favorite things about these meetings. So, um, and we just, it's kind of an organic meeting with a few of our key members and members of the city council just to talk about what's going on in the city and different issues. And I have really enjoyed, uh, developing, I'll consider it a friendship. I consider Councilwoman Ward a friend. Hopefully she won't make me look bad and say she doesn't feel the same. But I I appreciate that we've always been able to have good discussions. And so I thought it would be fun to have her on the podcast this week because we've got some things that are happening in the council right now. And then um, Councilwoman Ward's been a a dedicated public servant for a lot of time. So uh, thank you for coming on, Tammy. Um, And so let's start with this budget resolution that came up on on Monday. Mm -hmm. So Councilman McGinnis had taken and put forth a resolution that the city would take, uh, I'm just going to call it $92.4 million in their property tax asking in the 2023-2024 fiscal year, um, which is what was budgeted for the biennium. And so uh, we've seen, you know, property values have have changed significantly. You've heard a lot. I'm sure you've heard a lot more about that than I have. Um, So just talk to us a little bit about uh, Richard's resolution Mm -hmm. and kind of what Mm -hmm. the thought process was. Sure. Sure. And I'm, I'm glad for the topic, even though we're having a change of guard, we still have a lot of important things to go through as you noted, bud. So um, the resolution is a statement of intent. Basically it's non-binding, but um, I think it's important, and I'm really glad Councilman McGinnis brought it forward. So um, I'm supportive of it. And um, he did delay the vote, um, as was stated just a few minutes ago, to this coming Monday um, with no further public hearing. So what it does is ask the council in the future to consider holding the line, basically, on the budget that we passed last year for the coming budget cycle doesn't make them do that. Even if it passes, it's not binding. It doesn't mean any future council has to. That's not legal. We all know that. But it's a great discussion. And it's an important one. And it's, I think we need to discuss it. I would hope that it would pass um, so that the future council can discuss that. We all know, you know, and um, those listening will know that a, a local governing body, a state governing body, and it, certainly Congress cannot bind future governing bodies um, about what to do. That's not legal. We know that. I'd like to think most of my colleagues know that, but I'm not sure they all understand that. I think there's some fear of doing so, and I wish that wasn't the case. 
Well, and you know, when we look at the budget and we talk a lot about budgets on here and Mark gives Mark kind of gives me a little bit of a jab here and there about no. how big my face <laughs> lights up when I when I talk about budgets because I think I think those are important things to pay attention to. So, in the current fiscal year, it's about 87.1, mm-hmm. we'll call it 87.2 million dollars roughly. Mm-hmm. Um that is the property tax asking. And so, I think that's one of the things so the council the passes the budget that's presented by the mayor, and it's a biennial budget. Now mm-hmm. we're back to the biennial yep. budget. Thankfully, yeah. And um, th- then we come up with, the, they come up with this budget, and then they have to go and ask the the treasurer to uh, pass that money over because the treasurer is mm-hmm. one that collects it. And so it's mm-hmm. an asking. And we're just looking at that, and the the intriguing thing about this budget, which I testified on last summer, <clears throat> was... The current fiscal year for twenty two twenty three is up about seven percent over twenty one twenty two and then this next one is another six percent above the twenty two twenty three budget so for twenty three twenty four we're looking at an additional about six percent um and 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 our f- thought process is this is what we've budgeted for, and this is what's happened and Let's stick to our budget, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that's one mm-hmm. of the things that Richard really was getting at with his mm-hmm. his resolution was we got to think about sticking to our budget, and you know because people have experienced a lot over the last four, three years, I guess. So yeah, that's um, right. inflation mm-hmm. and and different things like that. So d- you said you're supportive of the resolution, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. hope that the the next council will really consider it. What are some of the things that? Uh, what are some of the reasons why you think that this is a good idea? I mean, good question. I think, well, like you just said, for one reason, um, we have all been through a lot, uh, especially small businesses, businesses in general, um, are still recovering from the pandemic. And I think we've lost sight of that sometimes. And economic turndown, high interest rates, all those reasons that um, Councilman McGinnis talked about on Monday. And I think we need to give businesses and um, people a break as long as we can, especially in times of more. And certainly our budget speaks to that right now. We are really comfortable in local government in the city of Lincoln. And that's not always the case. But certainly when we have it sitting there, there's no reason not to um, not to make the best of that and let people just cruise a bit, if you will. Um, we do that in our own lives. As somebody pointed out, I think it was Richard on Monday, um, we have our own personal budgets. We certainly wouldn't treat that any differently. Why would we mishandle a local budget that we've been given the responsibility of managing? Well, yeah, and and so uh, it was delayed. It's going to be voted on on Monday the 8th. It is. Um, and I it was is. actually, you know, I'm just going to take a quick dive here, Mark, and then we move on to the next subject. But um, I was proud to see some local business owners there to testify yeah, that was great. about this. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Um, we had a couple of local businesses testified. Obviously, Liba testified in mm-hmm. favor of this. And, and the Chamber of Commerce was there and testified in favor of it as well. And I think, I think what we're asking the council to do is, is just be cognizant of what's happening here in the city with all the inflation that we've experienced. So um, we'll have to wait and see how that uh, vote goes on Monday. Let's take that just a, a little bit deeper because the what you say the, the city's asking for in, in property taxes versus what they're receiving. And and that's the difference. They're, they're receiving more than they're asking for. Is that 
Is that a correct assumption on this one? Well, I think, and I'm, I'm glad Tammy's here because I'm going to make a statement and then I'll let Tammy correct me. Because, <laughs> But um, in order to do the property tax asking, I believe that the council has to set the levy. That's correct. Um, yeah. So but knows this the stuff. levy, yeah. you know, if the, if the property tax asking is $92.4 million, roughly, it's a little less than that, but... If it's $92.4 million, then they have to set the levy that they will assess on the property owners, which would be whatever comes to $92.4 million. Mm-hmm. So they have to adjust the levy. So that's why we call it property tax asking, and we've talked about that a lot in different budgets. And so it's what they're going to ask for, but then they'll have to adjust the levy. So. You got it. But it does like numbers, doesn't it? All right. <laughs> I just got an A yeah. from Councilwoman oh, Ward, wow. and I'm very proud well, of that. Whenever you have somebody you like and respect that gives you a good <laughs> marks, you appreciate that. So the the second issue that I thought was interesting, and I, I'm going to brag for a minute, Mark. I was the last member of the public at the council meeting on Monday. Um, so I stayed all the way through the end. But there was an interesting, I thought, discussion. There was a, a thing on a, a resolution on third reading that was about a property that's down at about 1620 South 84th Street, which has quite a bit of land attached to it. I think it's about four or five acres or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's got a house on it. But they want to develop it. Now, I'm going to give, again, I'm going to give my interpretation. We'll see how good I was paying attention. Um, but there's a house on the property currently, and they want to develop the property with, I would say, a commercial use, and then keep the home on the property as a place where maybe for conferences or meetings, mm-hmm. the people could stay at the house. And because they're doing that now, that gets classified as a hotel. Is that correct? Or and basically, I was a little confused. It, it, well, it so is, help us understand well, just kind of what mm-hmm. uh, it was. Hoppy Development was out there, so yep. um, this is all public knowledge. So mm-hmm. hopefully, Fred Hoppy's listening. He I knows we're he talking about it. He'll like but, that. But just talk about a little bit about the project itself. And it is complicated. So if, if you weren't at the first public hearing i can see why you'd be confused because i think it's still confusing to the council and clearly we we were struggling i mean i would admit that um so it is a home as you described bud um and as mr hoppy described it he does want to use part of that home for overnight purposes for staffing he does not want to operate it ever those are his words um that he told the council during the public hearing two weeks ago as a hotel but he does have to classify it in that manner. Um, I think it sounds great. It's a good use of that property. I've driven by it and through it. And it's his backyard where he lives now faces this property. All the neighbors, he has done his homework and he presented a beautiful packet to the council the, the day of the hearing with signatures of other businesses and neighbors that are all supportive. So he's not done this um, loosely. And you know, Fred, he's never going to do that. He's very... Um, respectful of others and other businesses nearby and he's respectful of the city process because he does this all the time so what appeared to me and just give me the sign when you want me to stop no you're good um, because there was some talk about access and roads and then all of a sudden there was something about blocking headlights yeah from the neighbors it took on a life of its own 
you know, I kind of like to say that to people when all of a sudden we're all sitting there, the audience looks confused, we're confused, and then... By audience, she means me, Mark. <laughs> well, I think even before you were the only one left standing, bud. Um, you know, I think it, um, unfortunately, I think it took a turn that it didn't need to take, um, to be quite honest, from my point of view, and the amendment was offered that I think just added to, uh, it created a problem. And sometimes people, and it was by another of my colleagues, Councilman Becky, yes, and he and I had a talk before and after, but um, over the weekend before this was brought forward. But not everybody had his amendment. Certainly Mr. Hoppy did not. That bothered me. I think it's just a basic courtesy when you amend someone's project. The first thing you do is, is show that to that uh, developer. Um, that did not happen in a timely fashion. Um, and so there was a lot of surprise on the dais. There was a lot of surprise on the developer's um, position. And so we all were confused. I think that, again, from my point of view, that amendment created a problem instead of a, uh, a resolution. Um, kind of a solution looking for a problem is what you. I would call it. Well, and I wanted to say that from the dais, but I had probably pushed enough buttons by that point. And so, um, I th and I think the way that some of the media played it out, it looked like we were not helping uh, Mr. Hoppy. In fact, we were trying. And so, um, he and he and I talked later that evening as well, and he's satisfied. He's, he, you know, um, it was very confusing with the Lincoln Transportation Utilities jumped in on it, and I think that was part of the problem. Um, and so here we are. But uh, he's willing, meaning Mr. Hoppy, to take what was decided. Um, the amendment did pass on a very close vote, 4-3. And if, if you weren't there like you were, bud, you would think that um, – those of us voting against the amendment, now here we talk about complicated, we're not helping the project, but in fact we were. We were trying to kill that amendment. Yeah. But I've had people call me since that said, why are you not helping Mr. Hoppy? And I'm like, look, you don't understand. Yeah. No, I, I so, thought, you know, and you know. I mean, it's it's one of those things we talk a lot on the podcast about making the sausage. And yep. Yep. it was, you know, I had a, well, it wasn't front row seat, but I was I always sit in the back row, but... It was it was a seat to watch that where I think the the overall project was one that the council was supportive of. They Absolutely. wanted to be supportive of Mr. Mm -hmm. Hoppy and what he was doing. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there was an amendment offered which some of you thought was a bad idea and it didn't. And I think the vote and I'm putting words in your mouth, so okay. correct me again. Yeah. You have you have carte blanche to correct me on this <laughs> podcast. But I think it was we didn't support the amendment, however the amendment passed, yet we still want to support the project as a whole. Absolutely. So yeah. um, I think that yeah. was, mm -hmm. I think it was good. So I actually watched a little bit of it uh, the next morning, and after about 10 minutes of back and forth, I couldn't figure it out. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you've, yeah. you've helped me figure this out. And Neither was, could we, Mark. Well, and, yeah. I, and I got a chance to talk to Fred a little bit on his way out. We, we talked a little bit on his way out, and um, I mean... He's happy he gets to move forward with the development. Mm -hmm. I think there was some frustration um, because I, I think some of the things that were included are now going to add cost to the project. And as a developer, I've watched Mr. Hoppy present, I would say, a thousand times at the council, sure. but probably not that many. But he's always there and he's always trying to do it the right way. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, they just added cost to my project. And so, anyway, one of the sausages. So yeah, it was. Well, the cost of doing business, uh, 
either in development or other businesses just seems to be going up uh, yeah. bits and pieces, uh, you know, yeah. sort of like uh, a thousand cuts. Yes. This is one of those yeah. things we've talked about in the past about, um, you know, government kind of putting some of that on them. So could I add just one more thing on that? Absolutely. So, um, and not so much just Fred's project, but I <clears throat> was on with Robin Eshelman on Grow Lincoln. And she and I were talking about this very subject, how government adds costs. And she asked me, well, what can government do? And, I, and here's a perfect example of what we were trying not to do with Fred. And it, it, it passed anyway. But I said to Robin, I said, you know, what government needs to do is quit apologizing for one thing and just understand when we do things like we did on Monday, it adds costs. But nobody seems to want to step back and think about the ramifications of passing that amendment, for example. And so that's a bit, always has been a big frustration for me, and well, four years full, but still, um, over a career of a long time and being a fiscal conservative, as nobody really believes until spending four years with, with Bud, now people are starting to believe me. But um, I just want to interject that because there's, there is the perfect example of how we add costs for people that are trying to build good projects and affordable housing in this town. Anyway, I digress. Lincoln Electorate has had their say in uh, the general election. At 47.4% turnout, with just 690 about uh, provisional and resolution ballots left to count. 47.4%. Yeah, yeah uh, we've talked about the election. Todd, and... Todd Wilchin was with us on the last podcast, and oh, nice. he was going to be... Uh, he was he, saying like 38, 40. 40, mm-hmm. 40 mm-hmm. And we hit the... That forty-seven point four. Yeah, I was I was fascinated by that. Obviously, you know, I have a passion about voter turnout, and um, you know, it's not a hundred percent. That's my goal always, and it's just kind of interesting to look over the last five mayoral election cycles because I think it's important to compare. In my mind, it's apples to apples, and you know, the turnout has ranged from 2007 to 2023 in those five election cycles. The turnout for a mayoral general election has been between 21% and, you know, almost 47%. That's quite a range. And it's it's kind of fascinating to look at some of the results and just look at the discrepancies in the results. And so... In that time frame, there's been one mayoral election that was close. It was 51-49. There was one that was way not close, which was 65-35. And the others have been 53 to 55% on one side and 45 to 47 on the other side, which I think is intriguing uh-huh. because uh-huh. when you see the electorate grow, that cha- that difference between the two candidates really didn't change. Uh-huh. Um, and then I looked at the council districts because, you know, uh-huh. I'm, I'm a nerd this way, Mark. You know that. But there's, <laughs> yes, I, yes, I know that. <laughs> there's been some relatively close ones in some districts, but in other districts. So council district one is fascinating because uh, they've been kind of at that 51, 49, 53, 47 range since 2015. But prior to that, it was like sixty-eight thirty-two and seventy-two twenty-eight, and that's a that's a big difference. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But let's talk about Councilwoman Ward's district, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, it's, which it's is interesting. It's it's very interesting because uh-huh. you won fifty-nine forty-one, which is a 
I'll call it that a landslide. Um, and in politics, anything over mm-hmm. 50 is good, right? Yeah, you got it. Um, but then before that, it was 6832, 5941. Uh, in 11, it was 5149, and then 5545. So it's just, it's interesting to kind of track the different districts. And I would say all the districts have kind of tracked. Fairly similarly, over the course of five election cycles, whether it's 21% turnout or 47% turnout. So just kind of fascinating. Um, you know me, I like to punch those numbers and take a look at it. So The fascinating number that uh, I've seen over the course of the last uh, couple of elections, and unfortunately I can't, haven't been able to go back far enough to, to see what the effect is, but the uh, preponderance of... of early voting and mail-in voting that increased so much during the pandemic. We've seen the, the general, the, the conservative vote always is higher compared to the, the Democratic vote on Election Day, and it is the absolute opposite. And it totally flips. It, it oh. totally flips for early voting. Well, in the and mayoral race. Those numbers race. have grown and grown and, and gotten further apart uh-huh. the more that we have the, uh-huh. the extended voting. Yeah, in the mayoral race, it went from, what, 64-36 in the early voting to 53-47 on the other side on Election Day. And it was interesting to see that we had 22,000 more people vote in the general than the primary. Um, That turnout jumped significantly. Generally, over time, we've seen the electorate pretty consistently go from you know, go up by about 10,000 votes from the primary to the mm-hmm. general. Each mm-hmm. of the, I mean, it's it's within like, I think it was like around 500 votes from 27 to 2019. But then this year, it went up 22,000. So kind of fascinating. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot more Monday morning quarterbacking going on and looking <laughs> oh. at the results when the precinct level results are out <laughs> and, and what the partisan turnout was. So, um, but there were... About 36,000, I think it was, early ballots cast in that election. It was Mm 35,000. And then 45, almost 46,000 on election day. Went just over 80,000 total ballots. Which it was just over 58,000 in the the primary. So kind of fascinating. The voters turned out. So I think think I'll give the city of Lincoln a, a passing grade on the... Increase from the primary to general, but uh, we can always do better. And we're going to do a deep dive with Councilman Tammy Ward here in just a moment. Talk about her uh, time on the council, uh, some of the conversations that she's had with Liba, and also what's next in her uh, her view. You need help finding reliable financing options for heavy machinery, trucks, or other equipment for your business? Currency is here to help. Now, Currency specializes in finding the most competitive financing options. For things like construction equipment, farm machinery, trucks, trailers, and other big-ticket items. doesn't matter whether you're replacing old machines or expanding your fleet. Currency makes it easy to get that financing. It's secure and free to use and gives you a single point of contact for the entire process. Visit GoCurrency.com and fill out an application. Currency will automatically find a lender offering the best rates and terms. Currency is equipment financing made simple. Visit GoCurrency.com and apply today. Offers may vary and arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC. Doing business as currency. Pursuant to CFL License 60-DBO-54873. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Back on Lincoln Business Beat, our deep dive discussion is with Councilwoman Tammy Ward. You've uh, got quite a history of civic involvement. I think Bud kind of made reference to that earlier. Uh, Bud, you've known uh, Councilwoman Ward a lot longer than I have and are more familiar with her background. Well, it has been my pleasure to get to know Tammy um, over the last four years uh, at LIBA. And I don't think our paths had ever crossed before that, which is a little ironic in this world of politics. But um, I've, I've really enjoyed kind of getting to know you. And so I think it'd be fun, I mean, as you're going off the council, to talk about your story. Because, I mean, you go back to Ben Nelson being governor. I do. So I do. talk a little bit about kind of what it was like working with Governor Nelson. And I think you worked for Senator Nelson and you've done some other things. Mm-hmm. And now you're a city council member. Just kind of talk about maybe some of the things you learned from Sure. Governor slash Senator Nelson. Well, thanks for that. You know, I have I've been really lucky. I I feel totally blessed, but um, an honor to have done what I've done. You know, at the time it just felt like a lot of long honor uh, hours. But um, I mean, you've you've done the same kind of stuff for so long. But I was fortunate, and actually, before I worked for Governor and Senator Nelson, I worked in the legislature for two state senators. Um, and my great-grandfather, I don't think I've ever told you this story, John W. Ward was a state senator. So it's kind of been in, you know, the bloodline, I guess. So when you were born, it was yeah, in your blood to get was, into public service and politics. It was. But in- it, interestingly enough, I grew up in a farm family, which was Republican, egg family, Masons. And um, so I decided when I turned 18, I was going to be a Democrat. Knew nothing about it. But just to be different. <laughs> and I guess it stuck. But um, I looked up some research about what my great-grandfather had voted on. And all I could find in 1912 or 15, that's the years he served, he voted against the woman's right to vote, to, to ratify that on the state level. He shouldn't have done it because I swear I miss payback. So, <laughs> so that's, but that's another reason, even having been married, I kept the name. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Anyway. I learned a lot from Ben Nelson. I also worked for Pat Engel from South Sioux in the legislature and Don Wesley when he was a state senator and when he was mayor. So I just always said I never had a real job, you know. I just got passed around these legislative political offices. But no, seriously, I've been blessed. And uh, Well, you learn a lot when you work for a governor or a United States senator and to have worked in every level of government has been truly an honor. Now, you grew up... Uh 
around Geneva, is I that correct? I did it on a farm. So, and yes. you still own farm ground in well, Geneva, Well, I am right? involved in that. Yes, I do. And See, cattle. See, the little things you learn about Councilwoman Ward when you get to know her over yeah. lunch. I have some cowboy boots in my car that I keep there all the time. You just never know. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need gonna those. you pull so, them out, yeah. So you've literally worked from the the local level to the federal level. And, I mean, I'm assuming things were a lot different when you worked for Governor Nelson than they are politically today. I mean, from a politics standpoint. So talk about what are the things that you have seen that you've tried to emulate uh, as as now a a maker of public policy. I'm glad you asked that sincerely, bud, because what um, I learned from Ben Nelson was where he worked as governor and especially as a United States senator, which doesn't exist um, anymore, is in the middle. Um, whether it's Congress or local government, or actually, uh, as we watch the legislature, nothing seems to happen with bipartisan politics. I should be careful saying nothing. Not nearly as Very much. Little Very anymore, little. Yeah. And that's really disappointing to me, and quite frankly, has been um, frustrating and disappointing on the city council. Um, Councilman McGinnis and I did partner up on a number of things and um, supported one another on our on our efforts a lot, but um, couldn't get there with a lot of my colleagues often on the city council, and that was frustrating. But I learned that from Ben Nelson. He was part of that centrist group in the beginning. He was very much a fiscal conservative. He, had, um, I didn't agree with a lot of necessarily our views and belief systems. That didn't matter. I didn't vote. He voted. Mm-hmm. Um, my job was to um, explain his votes, right? You know yeah. all about that. So it didn't matter what I thought or felt. He was you the, were the spin doctor. You got it. it. <laughs> I was, and I was honored to do that. But when I became an elected official, then I had learned so much from him and my other political bosses, and I was ready to just get things done. And I thought it would be really easy with seven instead of 49 in the legislature or 100 in the United States Senate. I thought it was much more difficult. Wow. So um, what was it that made you decide to go from, I'll say, the background of mm-hmm. being a, in working for elected officials to wanting to run for elective office? Well, my arm got twisted pretty hard because <laughs> <laughs> I really hadn't thought about it. And but never, still at the same time, nobody can yeah. ever tell you you have to run. No. Like no. working in politics, I've never told a candidate they can or can't run. Right. And I've no, never told somebody they have to run um, because you've. I will say, I just always say, you got to have the itch. So there was something in there in you that said, I want to do this. What was it? There was. Well, you know, to be really truthful, um, at the time was right. I had lost both parents within the last year, um, just a few months apart. I had started my own consulting business because I wanted, I had done that to take care of my parents. And I get a little emotional myself, but I was feeling like, all right, I'm, at the time was right. Um, It was time for me to step up. And um, Carl Eskridge was not running, and he was a friend. And I called all my political bosses, and I thought they'd talk me out of it. But uh, <laughs> but no, the opposite happened. So you're right. I had the itch. I thought it was my turn. I thought I could do it and win. You know, you get in it, you're not going to get in it to lose. You know that. Um, I've never heard a candidate say, I want to get in this race to lose, <laughs> right. but I want to get in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, and I had done a lot of campaign work. And so I thought on the local level, I could run my own campaign basically and do my own fundraising. I had a lot of help. Don't get me wrong, a lot of help on the ground. But I did my own fundraising, which I had done for Senator and Governor Nelson. So I, I knew I could probably um, do that in a, an okay way. 
So it just felt right. Excellent. So let's talk about, you know, you've been on the council for four years now. What would you say is your couple of things that you've worked on that you, when when you, when you close the door at City Hall on May the 15th, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you walk out of there as a councilwoman for the last time, what are the things that you're going to look back on and be really proud of that you were able to accomplish on the city council? Hands down, my biggest, uh, most memorable accomplishment was changing the ordinance to get the uh, public benefits changed for fallen hero investigator Herrera. When we changed that, I've been asked that same question um, repeatedly the last month. And um, Vince Powers brought me that ordinance, and you'll remember that, I know. And when we did that, I knew at that moment, but at that moment, if I did nothing else, that would be my most proud moment for that family, um, because that was a big blip on the books that we needed to fix. Yeah, that was one that it was surprised me that it wasn't there. Exactly. It was, it was a little shocking. Yeah. And, um, it was it was a really good a good thing that you were able to do for that family, but also I think that makes a statement to our public safety officials that the council realizes we had a a blip in the system and big, we're fixing it. And I think that makes a big. Difference. I hope so. I think so. And it was a very quiet day in the chamber, and it was a full day. I mean, a packed a full house. We had a big agenda that day, and it was first up. And I'll never forget that moment. And I said to myself, if I do nothing else, um, we'll have done this together. And so, hands down. But other things I think about um, are money we got for the airport with ARPA funds, recovery funds. Um, Deb Shore was county commissioner chair at that time. I was not chair of the council. But if she and I had not pushed, I'm not sure um, it would have happened maybe as quickly. And I'll say that proudly. So the county and city each put in a million and a half, insisted that we use 1.5 each to help the airport uh, secure this new um, Redway airline. And $3 million doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot to leverage. And so I'm really proud that we could work with the county board on that. And she and I both, both brought it to the administration's attention. And I'm really proud of that. We also I tapped some fast-forward funds that had not been used for a while to help the airport as well. And then uh, Councilman McGinnis and I replenished that fund with a million dollars from the city budget to help replenish what we had used for the Lincoln Airport. So not to be, you know, remiss Mm -hmm. of those funds. Um, I brought my list, but those things come to mind. I did some things for local food that I'm proud of with the airport authority, gave us some land for the first community garden. Uh, It was a great public-private partnership, and I love those. Always have. I learned that from Ben Nelson. That works. You know, he was a staunch business person and mm-hmm. he worked well with business groups, was honored by national groups. So I watched him do that and I, I could do that on the local level and that was fun. Those kinds of things come to mind. I, um, Centerpoint homelessness downtown. I got some money for another um, Centerpoint staffer part time. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I did it so it would relieve some of our LPD officers mm-hmm. because. People tend to call the police mm-hmm. instead of just trying to do access Deal the right things, service. Yeah. yeah, so that was fun, and um, I ended up getting a homelessness uh, spirit award, which was really not necessary. But the homeless co- coalition in Lincoln presented me with that because they they get ignored a little mm-hmm. bit, and I said that was not necessary. But those small things do help add up. I think. Excellent. So, well, so what's next? 
What's well, next for Tammy Ward? No, we'll call you civilian uh, ward yeah, now instead of councilwoman. That feels kind of good. Yeah, that feels good. Um, uh, no alarm clock, which I, well, for 30 years, it will be nice not to set an alarm. Um, I am going on a couple of boards I've been um, looking at and asked to do, actually, so that'll be nice. I'll continue my public service in that way, some volunteer boards. Educare Lincoln, um, they uh, office out of Belmont in my district. That's a really important neighborhood to me. Lots of activity, good and bad, out there, so I can stay connected with them. Mental Health Association has asked um, me to serve. That's an important population to me. They serve um, transitional prisoners that come out of the community, mm-hmm. and they do good work, so we'll see. I think their board has to vote on that yet, so I shouldn't be announcing that just yet. <laughs> so, But I want to be careful with how I spend my time a good. little bit so I don't Overcommit. Little cattle ranching. Little cattle ranching. I've got some Excellent. heifers right you're gonna, now. You're going to be selling beef. We're going to see am, Tammy's so. beef at the farmers yeah, market. Well, or something. maybe you just <laughs> never know. Got to get those cowboy boots back out. Excellent. Well, uh, again, I want to just offer my deep appreciation because uh, we didn't know each other four years ago when we first met. Uh, when I started at Liba, and we've had our lunches, and and honestly, we've had our differences at times uh-huh. on different issues. But yeah. I think uh, I think Governor Nelson, Senator Nelson would be proud of you um, and, well, maybe me. I don't know. Uh, I but, so. but of that relationship, because we've yeah. always been able to have a conversation regardless of the issue and whether or not we agree. It's always been something that we could we could sit down and discuss. And I appreciate that. And I know our folks at LIBA really appreciate that relationship and that conversation. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think it. It makes a difference um, when we talk about issues, when we have that relationship. So I want to thank you for that uh, and all your service to our community and to our state and our country. You've served from local government all the way to the federal government. So I'm glad we got you out of Washington, D.C. before it was completely a disaster, in my opinion. So uh, thank you very much, and thank you for coming on our podcast. We appreciate that, but just thank you for all you've done for our city. Thank you for everything, bud. Totally agree. It's a friendship no one would have ever guessed, right? Exactly. Yeah. People are going to be shocked when they see this picture on the uh, cover of the podcast yeah. and then listen. I hope you don't get too many arrows, bud. I don't care. I'm taking a lot of arrows for a lot. Well, let's, uh, a lot, a lot let's of talk things. about the arrows for sharing this podcast because there is a little arrow and you can share it with your uh, friends, your colleagues, and we'd Great. appreciate it if you uh, I can do, do that. that as well. Absolutely. And, of course, everybody that's listening, share it across your multimedia as well. Let's uh, we'll just very quickly remind everybody of the May Liba Luncheon. May 16th, the Liba Luncheon at the Jasmine Room at the Grand Manse. Our, uh, we're going to give out the Liba Foundation is going to award their scholarships to uh, young high school students that – uh, are going to be presented scholarships. We have Derek Pearson's going to come in. He's a coach, a mentor for young people, does a lot of speaking and writing books. So we're excited to have him come in and speak to us. So uh, we're off and running. May 16th, yes, 1130. Sir. You can uh, get more information at org or email. Bud at org. And uh, again, appreciate you being with us on the Lincoln Business Beat. And thanks to Councilwoman Tammy Ward for being our deep dive guest today. This has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with LEPA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com. <music>